This is the Impact Church Podcast. Here at Impact, we believe a powerful word at the right time can help you overcome any challenges you are facing. Wherever you are listening or whatever you're going through, we pray this message speaks exactly to your need. Enjoy. And so we've been in this campaign, and we've been talking about comeback. And last week we talked a little bit about, and I hope that this landed well for you. It was quite incredible just to partake in, in small group and then to hear Dr. Evans really underscore some of the things that I hadn't heard him say and seen that clip just about being willing to take a risk. How many of y'all remember that from last week? Yeah, and so sometimes we can find ourselves stuck and we can find ourselves afraid and and we could also find ourselves just in a rut just kind of doing the same thing but what I know about a comeback is you don't get a comeback without taking a risk you know and usually the area that you've been set back in is the area you have to take a risk in and so we talked about taking a risk last week we talked about having a resolve and we talked about having a request and so um, as I thought about that and I was preparing for where we're going this morning Immediately, my mind went to, to my own story, and, and I thought about how, well, first of all, this, this August, it'll be 34 years with this wonderful woman over here. Amen. My childhood sweetheart, and still is my sweetheart. And, um, and so, when we, passed the moment, uh, just to recap, just on our story, so we started dating when she was here in Spelman. I was still alive. She was here in Spelman and, and, um, and came home at Christmas, and one thing led to another, and we started dating. And then she came back home in May of, of uh, 87. And I don't know why I'm going in and out. But that summer, we, um, we just thought we were really serious. We, there was no question for us that we wanted to be with each other. That was not even a question on the table. We had already acknowledged the Lord in our dating, so we knew that we had the green light to date, and so in our hearts, we, we knew we wanted to be with each other. The question wasn't if we were going to be with each other. The question was, how would we be with each other, and how would it honor God? And so we went on this season and this time of, of fasting um, to like six o'clock every day for six weeks from June all the way through into the middle of July, and we would go to a place, those of y'all from New York may know of Robin Moses Park, and beach, and we would go to another place called Captory, and we would just, you know, during the, during the day when we had some time, we would just be out there. We'd be praying in the water, relaxing, and nothing happened. There was no breakthrough. There was nothing amazing that happened until one Friday night, um, we were going to, my brother was um, one of the ministers at the church that I grew up at, and so he had access, and so we, some of the young people would go up there and just meet up, and so this particular Friday night, we had a meetup scheduled, and uh, we were the first ones to get there. And we're waiting for everyone else to arrive. And just sitting out there in the parking lot in the car, not praying, not talking about anything about anything, the Lord just dropped in my heart. Um, he said, a year from now, you'll be married, and I'll show you how. Quotation. That was exactly what he said. And I said, oh, whoa. I didn't see that coming. But it was exciting because I knew that it was God who spoke to me. I was in no, I was in no personal rush to be married at all. I was just starting college, actually, that's a, that August. And so, but I knew when God spoke to me, and I knew that that was God. Actually, if I never knew that God spoke to me, I knew that was God that day, that evening. And so we were excited about it. And a, a little while after, she shared it with her mom, and her mother was gave her blessing. That's a big deal. We were young. 
Mom gave her blessing, and that was all right. That's all I needed was mom's blessing. I was good after that. And so um, we were excited about what, what could happen and what God would do, and we started, you know, what everybody does, especially brides, is planning for their wedding and that kind of thing. And then we told some other people, and they wasn't as excited. Amen. And there were people that were not excited for very legitimate reasons. I mean, we were young at that point. I think I was 17, and you were 18 or something like that. And, um, and so they were not excited. Some people were not excited because they thought, oh, you're not going to finish college. And I was just starting good. So <laughs> you're not going to finish college. Others were not excited because they thought we were young. Maybe we were making a mistake. Others were angry. I mean, folks were really angry. A lot of folks were angry with us that we would even try to do something like that. And so we had a lot of setbacks during that time. It was a really difficult time. I wouldn't trade it for the world because I grew the most probably during that season. Amazing. It prepared me for who I am today. But fast forward, we went through different situations, and God continued to prevail in our lives. And as we're getting closer to the wedding, and this was not a small wedding. I mean, the Lord blessed us. Who gets married? At, by the time we were married, we were 18 and 19. But the Lord had blessed us with an amazing, um, a big wedding is what I would say. We had a big bridal party, a big service, and a big reception at a big reception hall. But before we got to that, about maybe four or five weeks out before the wedding, um, Saturday morning came, and I'm laying down in my bed sleep, just knocked out. You got to be dramatic. <laughs> and I look up, and who's looking at me in my bedroom? I'm talking about like 7 o'clock in the morning, something like that. Pastor Mona is in my bedroom at 7 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday morning. It's a true story. He's still salty by that color purple thing from last week, but we're going to leave that alone. So I said, oh, gosh, she came to take advantage of me. We only got five more weeks. <laughs> and she said, no, that ain't it. And I could tell she was troubled. She was troubled. And I said, well, what's going on? She said, well, someone said to me last night that you should not get married. If I was you, I wouldn't do it. And then try to talk her out of it. But the thing about it was it wasn't just anybody. It was somebody in our wedding party. I know. You see that? You see that? Uh-huh. And what I need you to understand is we had gone through so much, right? And we never once in that almost 12-month period questioned. Do you know after that, by the time she finished saying what they said and who it was, and she said to me, are we sure that we really heard from God? I was like, I thought I was. And we started to feel discouraged. We, felt, we started to feel down about what was said, and we started to have doubts. This is real talk. And I found out that sometimes... It's what people say that will set you back. We had dealt with a lot of adversity. We were broke. We were still planning a wedding. We had a lot of adversity. We were in school at a very expensive school. We were trying to get to that. We had a lot of sickness, other things we tried to get through. But sometimes what I found out is one of the biggest things that will set you back is the words that people say. And for, for several days, it set us back. Now, about a week later, we were 100% confident. We knew that it was a God thing, and it was not just a God thing, but a right now thing. 
and we went forward, but, but I need you to understand that as you begin to move, and see, let me, let me re- go back for a minute. It wasn't, when we, when we said yes, it wasn't just yes to each other. We already had that understanding. It was a three-way yes. It was a triangle. And that yes meant that, God, we want a generational comeback. Both of us had parents that have been divorced. And so we said, when we come through this, we want God, we want a generational comeback for our family, even for our children we don't have yet. That's vision. Somebody say vision. But when you're moving towards a comeback, what you have to understand is that you're going to have opposition. That's the reason why you're dealing with a setback to start with is because you have opposition. How many know that you have an adversary, the devil, that does not want you to have progress in your life, does not want you to to live for God, does not want your children's children to be blessed? There will be opposition as you begin to move forward. And one of the big pieces of opposition that you're going to have to deal with as you move towards a comeback is the words that somebody says. Because often it's the words that somebody says that will set you back. And so I want to talk to you just a bit about this morning of how you deal with that. And I don't, it doesn't matter what the area of comeback is. It, it doesn't matter if it's financial, if it's relational, if it's dealing with your health. It could be a, a career. It doesn't matter the area of the comeback. But trust me when I tell you, and some of y'all are witnesses out there, that somebody's going to say something to you that will cause you to try to doubt what you're trusting God for. And so I want to talk to you just a little bit about that, especially, watch this, when you are doing the right thing. And it's something how folks don't try to talk you out of doing wrong. You be out there getting ready to do something wrong, and they join in with you. <laughs> Soon as you try to do right, somebody try to talk you out of it. Just think about that. So what do you do when you get those kind of words, and you hit that type of opposition, Verbal opposition specifically today. And I want to jump back into Nehemiah. You can open up the Bible app or Nehemiah chapter 4 from verse 1 to 6. I want to jump in about that because at this point in the campaign, we're taking a turn on Sunday mornings. And there's also a turn in our story that we've been following with Nehemiah and Israel. And the turn is actually at opposition. And so verbal opposition is not the only opposition, but it's one of the biggest ones that comes your way. And this is what... Uh, happens in Nehemiah chapter 4. You ready? It says, but it so happened when Sam Ballad heard that we were rebuilding the wall that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Hmm. Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of the rubbish, stones that are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and said, whatever they build, if a fox goes up on it, he'll break down their stone wall. Nehemiah turns to the Lord, hear, O God, for we are despised. Verse 5, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. Verse 6, so we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. So let me go back and just give a little bit of context real quick. If you're new, there's a comeback, there's a setback that Israel faced when they were exiled into Babylonia. They come back, 
They're trying to move back into the promise. If you know Jeremiah 29, 11, it's talking about this period. It's talking about God has a plan for Israel and a plan to bless them, a plan not to do them harm, but to give them a hope in the future. And they get back to their homeland, and they're trying to rebuild their lives. They're trying to rebuild community. They're trying to rebuild their temple. They're trying to rebuild their covenant relationship with God. They're trying to rebuild all that was lost in their setback. And as they get ready to make this kind of progress, all of a sudden, their enemies around them, people that oppose them, all the other foreign nations that dwell within the land started pointing them out and started going up against them to the point that they got the king to turn against Israel. So Israel, uh, if you've ever been overseas, particularly in European nations, you don't see this here, um, but when you go to Europe, what you'll notice is that there's always an, an old city, particularly after World War II, uh, there, there'll be ruins of old cities. So as an example, I'm trying to think of one of the countries, but just think of most cities in Europe have, are old enough to have an old city. And an old city simply is this, a city that was destroyed probably by World War II that you see remnants of it still remaining and they built the new city next to it. Are you with me? And the old city typically, I don't care what old city it is, including, including in China when you see the Great Wall of China, typically ancient cities were defended by walls. Walls, because when you had a wall around your city, you could protect the people on the inside, and you could also see above to see who was coming from the other side. And so they would build walls to defend themselves from other people. So the problem that Israel was facing was even though they were back in their land, they were unprotected. They didn't have walls to defend their wives and their children, the next generation, or themselves, and they were being ridiculed by the nations that were around them that were going to come in and invade them, that were going to come in and steal gold from the temple and just basically dehumanize them. And so they're trying to rebuild the wall, but the king, because of political pressure, says, nah, we're not going to let Israel rebuild because folks told him he won't get tax money. Folks told him he's gonna be, they're going to be rebellious. And so the king says, I know you want to rebuild. I know you want to come back, but I'm not going to allow you to have it. So he, he stops it. Fast forward, you get to Nehemiah, and Nehemiah rises up. When he finds out that this is what's happening in Jerusalem, he has access to the king. How many know you need to use your influence for God's purposes? He said, hold up, not on my watch. I am the king's cupbearer. When I get an opportunity, I'm going to make my request. I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to go because I have a resolve that I will not leave my people like this. And so he goes before the king, and the king grants him. His request, we found that out last week. And not only does he get a request, the king says, what else do you want? He said, well, I want, I, I want to go to my people. First of all, I want time off. He said, well, how long do you need? I think it was either four or six months. He said, all right, time granted. So you got time off with pay. How about that? Then he said, um, I need you to give me a letter because I have to pass through all these little provinces to get there. He said, give me a letter so that none of the governors in other places stop me. Great, you got a letter. What else you need? I need timber so that we can support the stones as we rebuild and we can have the stone in place for the wall. Cool, I'm going to give you a letter. When you go out there to guide us over the forest, he's going to give you the wood that you need. This is all happening in verse chapter 1 and where we're going this morning. He gets all of those things. He gets horsemen to go with them and a small army. Nehemiah goes from one place to the other untouched. He's going on assignment, but folks don't know he's going under the radar. So when he first does, he doesn't go back into Israel and say, hey, guys, I came here to, you know, to, to turn things around. He doesn't do that. He goes and he surveys the land. He looks at what the need is. He starts building a coalition. He starts building alliances. And then by chapter 3, I'm almost where we are this morning, by chapter 3, they start rebuilding the wall. You start looking at all the different tribes that start coming in. They start rebuilding the wall. And then when you get to where we are this morning, and then it starts off saying in chapter 4, but 
when Sam Ballard heard. He was indignant. He was very upset. And I need you to understand that because the thing about Sam Ballard is, you know what we don't see in chapter 1, 2, or 3? Is Sam Ballard. You know, Sam Ballard doesn't show up into chapter 4. See, the Sam Ballard in your life don't show up until you get a resolve and step out to do something on faith. See, your enemy will show up and you make a decision and say, I'm not going to live the way I am. I'm not going to stay the way I am. I'm not going to stay in this place. The minute you start saying, I'm going to do something right. I'm going to do something for God. I'm going to do something to better myself. I'm going to do something to get ahead. It's the minute Sam Ballard shows up in your life. In fact, Sam Ballard's name means secret enemy. Because so you don't really know who your enemies are until you make a move. You don't who your enemies really are until you try to better yourself. You don't know who your enemies are until you try to do something righteous. You never know until you step out. Then all of a sudden, butts and ballot in your life starts talking. We're talking about opposition and overcoming opposition this morning. You don't even know who's really for you until you make a move. You don't really know who's really for you until down you try to get back up. Why? Because there's sin balance in your life. Watch this. They have a vested interest in in your setback. Oh, let me talk about it. See, Sam Ballard was cool. Sam Ballard, he, he was not part of the Jewish nation, and he liked having access to Jerusalem. He liked the fact that they couldn't keep him out. He liked the fact that he could bring people through. Why? Because it gave him and the other nations a political advantage, and it gave them advantage over commerce in the city. There's some people that don't like the idea of you coming back for your setback. There's some people in your life that have a vested interest in you being broke, busted, and disgusted. They like when you're down. They like when you're tired. They like when you're upset. They like when you're depressed. They like when you're sad. They like when you have nothing to draw from. They like to see you hammering and hawing. But there's some folk that got to say to you this one, don't let your sin balance talk you out of what I promised you. Secret enemy. You don't know who they are until you start moving. Until your intentions become known, all of a sudden they show up. Vested interest in your setback. Because, see, there are people that feel less threatened as long as you're set back. When you start moving and you start coming up, all of a sudden that threatens them, so they like to see you set back. They like to see you struggling. They, they like to feel needed by you. He needs me. She needs me. It makes them feel better about themselves. They, they, they like that. They, they like the fact that in your life, whenever you come up small, it makes them feel big. They like it. And you don't really know who they are. Until you show your intentions. Until you start saying, I'm coming back. Until you start saying, I'm not going to be in this place this time next year. Until you start making those, when you start making those kind of moves and those kind of statements, all of a sudden ears start going, what'd you say? I wanted so bad to use the color purple, but I'm not going to use it again. It just popped in my mind. 
Use it. Uh, let them use me. All right. <laughs> Y'all are hilarious. <laughs> now, let me go back and make a quick statement. So, if you have not seen the color purple and you're younger than me, you're good. It's a generational thing. All right. So, that's that. No, I was given context from last week. But in the movie, if you notice, the minute that Celie is about to leave and say, I, I, I'm not going to stay where, you, where you've tried to keep me, basically. I've lived all these years under your foot. And no longer will I live in that place. And the minute she starts getting ready to go forward, he starts telling her everything that she's not. You're ugly. You don't have any talents. You're a woman. You're, you're dark. Whatever it was that he could think to break. Because the minute you start getting up, it's like a magnet for the satanic to be attracted into your life to try to tell you what you're not, to try to discourage you. you got to understand that while Sambala's name means enemy, Satan's name means adversary, and it's the same spirit. It's the same spirit. The minute you try to get it, it's the same spirit from hell that will try to tell you everything you're not, everything you can't do. But how many of you know that greater is he that lives in me than he that lives in the world, that I'm more than a conqueror through Christ that loves me, that I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. As soon as he hears it come out your mouth, as soon as you start talking about we building, we trying, we buying a house, we coming off the food stand, I don't care. I'm going back to school. I'm in a committed relationship. I gave my life to Jesus Christ. As soon as you open your mouth. As soon as you open your mouth. And, and this is what Sam Bowles said. And he spoke before his brethren. And the army of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? If we're so feeble, why are you worried about us? If I'm going to fail, why, you, why am I in your mouth? If it matters that much to you, if I'm not that, then why are you worried about it? Will they fortify themselves? <laughs> Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish? Stones that are burned. I said it before, I'll say it again. Sometimes what's said can set you back. You're going to deal with opposition. The biggest opposition you'll continue to deal with is words. I'm going to give you three types. There's plenty others. You ready? Those feeble Jews. That's something. Could you imagine? I mean... Just curse at me. Don't call me feeble. Y'all, this is like, <laughs> Brandon, you're feeble. This is like, really? You just feel like, that's the best word you can come, feeble? But I need you to understand that when he's saying feeble, it's a word that's measuring them. And it's measuring their strength and their ability. And words that measure us, we call them judgments. And, and things that, that judge, they also define. And so you, you may get hit from time to time with judgments that define or try to define you, to tell you what you can and cannot do. Or watch this, how far you can and cannot go. 
because I'm good with you as long as you're here. But if you cross over here, ah. So when folks speak words of judgment, what they're really saying is, I'm comfortable with you being right here. Woo, I almost shouted right there. I'm, as long as you don't go any further, you're good. I got I you, because you know we like to place people. You know how we do. You know. Hey, what's your name? Oh, digging this long? What do you do? Because I'm trying to figure out where to place you. And then once you tell me what you do, as long as you don't do anything more than that next year and the year after, we're good. But when I first met you, you told me this is what you do. Y'all ain't saying nothing. But the minute you step out to do something else or to become something more is the minute that it intimidates other people. So then they try to put a word of judgment to define your space. Folks ask me, I'll be sitting on the plane. I don't care where I'm going. And folks will say, you know, hi, whatever, and hello. And they're going to ask me what I do. And what do I tell them? I would never tell them that. I like, don't tell people that. I don't. Unless it's church people. I really don't. Not most of the time. Because then they start closing down. Oh, he's going to try to tell me that. He gonna, so I don't, I saw I'm into people development. Oh, really? Uh-huh. And then I just keep on talking, and then I start sliding Jesus in. But those words sound like this. For me, this is what it sounded like with the illustration story I used earlier. And several people said this. If you marry, you will not finish school. Did you hear that defying? The question is, says who? Who says that? Maybe that's your story. Maybe that if you did that, you wouldn't. But that's not necessarily mine. So you have to be aware when you hear words, whether people are intent attempting to do it intentionally or unintentionally, you have to be able to recognize the word for what it is so you don't get stuck by it. Judgments can define. They can define you. The second one we hear, we see is opinions. Opinions can discourage you. They can discourage you. This is what they said, but this is what, this is what the Scripture says, but this might be how they heard it. He says, will they fortify themselves? What he's really saying is, they're so feeble. Can you really protect yourself? It's like, it's like another guy saying, you can't fight. The brothers feel that. <laughs> <laughs> and then he says, he says, will they offer sacrifices? You know that? They might have heard that. Really what they're saying is, will they offer sacrifices that hopefully they can get God's attention so that hopefully he can help them? But essentially what they would have heard them say was, not even God can help you. Opinions that can discourage you. I remember when I was uh, leaving, I was working for... Uh, APS was my last full-time teaching position, and um, the principal that I was working under, she was nice and all, and so she probably wanted me to stay, and so I said, yeah, this is my last year. I'm not able to do both at the same time anymore. I'm going to be pastoring. Yeah, you said that, Mr. Brawley. 
this how she talked. She said, but you know what I found? I said, well, what's that, Miss Thornton? She said, I found that most people really like their preacher to have some gray down here. Now, I was in my 20s, so you know I didn't have gray. But if she could see me now! <laughs> right. So, so but, when she, but that was her opinion. And so I knew what she really meant. She really wanted me to stay. Maybe she really didn't have that, hold that view, but I also knew what God said to do. And so you have to know that opinions, they will come, right? And sometimes they will come, and if we're not careful, they can discourage us. And then the last one, he says, whatever they build, if a fox goes on, he'll break it down. What he's really saying is that if you've ever seen a fox, and they're very small. They're, they're really about the size of a small dog or a small cat. And when we go to London, they would just be running around the parks just like any other animal, which is kind of weird, but they're not that big. What he's saying basically is, you know what, they are so feeble. They are so weak. You are so weak that if you build a wall, even a little, a little fox will knock it down. What he's basically doing is he is comparing the weakness of the, of the Jewish people to the strength in his mind of a fox. And that's the final word that I want to throw out to you to just be mindful of, that comparison can diminish you. When people start using comparative words, you know, I wish you was as smart as your sister. You're not as athletic as your brother. Oh, y'all are quiet. Well, she's successful, but not quite as successful as she is. And if we're not careful, those compatible words diminish. It makes people feel small in their own life. Because I'm not living her life, I'm living mine. I'm not living his life, I'm living mine. So there's no reason for me to be compared to him or to her because I only show up in my life. And so here you have Nehemiah and the Jews being taunted by Sam Ballot, a secret enemy who becomes known all of a sudden when they start making progress, but he is not the only one because there's another brother mentioned here. His name is Tobias. And Tobias was an Ammonite, and so he was not a Jew, but what he did was he married into Judah, which is the tribe of, 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 of Israel. And not only did he marry into Judah, he had his son marry into Judah, and it was for political advantage and purposes. And then he gained a foothold because it's like if he married into this family, so if I married into this whole family, and then I, my son married into this whole family, and we started working the room to get everybody else to turn on Nehemiah. That's what Tobiah, he said, well, we're going to build a little, a little coalition here so we can get them to turn on, on nearby. But what we find out about him, which Tobiah is interesting because you know what Tobiah's name is? This almost blew my, blew my mind. You won't believe what his name means. You ready? God is good. No, no. His name means God is good. Ain't that something how folks that can rise up and say God is good? 
be the, be the first ones out of one side of the mouth to say God is good out of the left side, and out of the right side of the mouth intentionally try to discourage you. I'm trying to talk to somebody this morning. There's folk in your life sometimes that can say, oh, God is good out of one side, but out of the other side of the mouth, they will diminish you. Come on, somebody. There's some folk in your life that can say God is good, but they got doubts when it comes to you stepping out on faith. Ain't it amazing how it could be folks who speak in tongues on a Sunday, but on a Monday they can tell you everything that you ain't. It could be folks that can finish the scripture on Sunday, but on a Tuesday, they will diminish you. Sometimes folks who say God is good ain't good for you. Because you know why I say that? Because he said, let the wheat and the chair grow together. And you don't really know who's who. Because we can be spiritual or churchy. But the true fruit of a believer is love. By the way, the fruit of the Spirit, not fruits. Just a belief on my part that the fruit is really love and everything else comes out of it. So Tobias, for some of us, represents somebody who had a leadership position. That was spiritual. And see, what I found out is it's not always what's said, but sometimes it's who says it that sets us back. So you may have been set back, and it could be by anybody. It could be by a pastor, somebody who could say God is good. You maybe have been set back by somebody else who's spiritual, quote-unquote, who says God is good. You may be set back by somebody who represents God in your life. You ready? Like a father. Because fathers or parents represent God to their children. They bring God to their children. And so when somebody in authority, somebody in power, somebody who represents God to you, says a word to you that diminishes you, that judges you, that brings you down, those words can set you back. But here's the interesting thing about it. As we continue to read, what I notice about Nehemiah and Israel is, the Scripture says in verse 6, and so we built the wall up to half its height. The irony about the whole thing was that even though they were receiving all these words and all this pressure and all this was on them, it never set them back. So the question is, why didn't it not set them back, but it often sets us back? You want to know the answer? They ain't ready for it. It's in the last verse of that verse 6, the last portion. It says, for the people had a mind to work. For the people, what? Had a mind to work. See, I found out it's not the words that people say that actually set you back. 
It's what you mind that actually sets you back. So if you take their words and you mind it, that will set you back. But the Bible says that the people had a mind to work. So they didn't pay any attention. They didn't give any mind. They didn't give any space. They didn't any place to what the enemy was saying. They were too busy working on their comeback. They were too busy working on their wall. I want to tell you, church, that no matter what comes, no matter who says what, you got to be so busy working on the thing that you're trusting God for that you don't have time. Time to worry about what she says and he says and they say because I'm so busy focusing on what God says that I don't have time to worry about what anybody else says. We can't stop people from saying what they say. But we get to determine how much space they take up in here. I was talking to somebody a long time ago. They just kept telling what everybody said. It just went on for the longest. I said, are you getting rent? Because they sure are taking up a lot of space in your head. Some of you need to issue an eviction this morning. No longer will I give you that kind of space. No more am I going to be going back and forth and ruminating on what you said and ruminating on what happened and ruminating on your pain and going back, can't sleep and tossing and turning and going to somebody to tell them and going to somebody what you're thinking. No more am I going to give you that kind of attention. I don't have time. Watch this. I don't have time to mind what you say in my comeback at the same time. For the people had a mind to work. I want to share one more thing with you and I'm going to be done. You got to get it in your heart. I don't even have to argue with you. You know, you just let, let people have their own argument. Uh-huh. And then what happened? No. Yeah. No. What? How you feel? Oh, I don't know. I ain't got, because you know what? You can't argue by yourself. So just drop out. Just drop out the argument. How about that? Drop out of it. You don't have to go back and forth. And guess what? You don't even have to prove them. You know, sometimes we feel the need to prove. I got to prove. I've been there. I got to prove to you. I got to prove to you. You ain't got time to do that. I'm just going to work. Have a mind to work in the direction that I plan on going. I'm working in the direction that I expect God to meet me. Y'all come on up. I want to read just a quick story. Igori Sikorsky, you probably never heard of him before, but you know something about him that, you, that you'll find out in a minute. He was 12 years old. His parents told him that competent authorities have already proved human flight impossible. Guess what? He, wanted, he went on to build the first helicopter. And he posted in his American plan, because he had others other places. In his American plan, this is what he posted. You ready? According to recognized aerial technical tests, the bumblebee cannot fly because of the shape and weight of its body in relation to the total wing area. The bumblebee does not know this, so he goes ahead and flies anyway. 
And it's from the specific encyclopedia of 7,700 illustrations. That's what some of y'all needed to do. Who said it? Fly anyway. I was too young to know what I couldn't do. When we got married, I didn't know it. I didn't know I couldn't do it. So it didn't matter when they told me I couldn't do it because I didn't know. I didn't know that I shouldn't have been able to do what I wound up doing. You look back over some of the things that you've done, and you look, how did I do it? You didn't know that you couldn't do it. Take that same mindset at what's in front of you right now and act like a bumblebee. As far as I'm concerned, I can still fly. Some of y'all need to get on your feet right now and start trusting God. He's able to cause you to fly above your circumstance, to cause you to fly above your opposition, to fly above the opinions of other people. That God, I trust you. As far as I'm concerned, I didn't know I couldn't fly. I thought I was supposed to fly. I see this thing said flying. I see that flying. Why not me? Why not you? Why not you? Why not you? Why not you too? Why not me, God? Why can't you use me? Why can't you raise me? Why can't my family be blessed? Why can't my family be the head and not the tail? Why can't I own a business? Why can't I have wealth? Why can't I live in my own house? Why can't my children know God? Why not me? Why not me? God, I'm so foolish. I just believe that even me, God, even me, God, even me, God, let some blessings fall, God, even on me right now. Hey. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Woo. Stand on your feet this morning. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. Because I, I know that I serve a God. That he is able against all the naysayers in your life to prove it this way. Let every man be a liar. Let God be true and every man be a liar. God can take the words that were spoken in your life. Watch this. Even from childhood. Even if you have lived into them, into adulthood. Right now, God is able to take down all those things that have defined you that were never supposed to define you. And he's able to make you overcome them and to prove man to be a liar and that God is true. How many want to see that in your life? What God is playing for your life is too big to be defined by what people think. It's too big to be defined and confined by other people's experiences. And so this morning, my prayer for you is that wherever that has entered into your life, that it's broken off this morning. How many want that? Keep your hands lifted this morning as if to receive. Father, we thank you for your power and your strength. Thank you, God, that it rests on us. Lord, we are part of your body. We are part of your family. We are your children. And God, you want us to walk in everything that you have predestined us to walk in before we arrive on earth. And Lord, there have been words that have been spoken, defining words, Lord, discouraging and doubtful words, words that diminish. And Father, this day I pray that you break that off of our lives, God. Break it off of our minds, any hole, Lord God, anything that's any residue in our hearts and in our spirit, God. We pray this morning that you take it out, that you remove it, that you deliver us, God, that every chain is broken, Lord God. And that, Father, the areas that you ordained for us, Lord, to be a comeback 
in our own story, to be a comeback in our own lives, God, to be a comeback for you, God, one that brings you glory. May those areas manifest in our life despite what has been said, despite what we feel, despite those times we feel discouraged, God. We thank you, Lord, for giving us a mind to work. And not because our works do it, God, but because faith without works is dead. We work, God, because we trust that you're going to do it. And we thank you for it now. In the matchless, mighty name of Jesus. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning.